the football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Rolling into the 3 o'clock hours. We're getting ready for Monday Night Football. Twin Peaks is the site on Eastern. Come on down. Big beers under 4 bucks. You got a select appetizers, 2 bucks, 4 and $6. The ladies of Twin Peaks are here and we're rocking and rolling, getting ready for a good game tonight. Intriguing spot. Titans have been a little less than scintillating as compared to uh, preseason expectations. The Bills have been unreal, but, Willie, we know uh, there is the test. When you're emerging as a really good team, dealing with prosperity is not always easy. And, by the way, the Raiders will have that because after a very emotional win, emotional week against the Broncos, they're going to have to get ready for the Eagles, which you know aren't exactly a – Natural rival. All right, football frenzy time. You know, I wanted to follow up on one thing we talked about with Jason Cole. Actually, a couple things. Where are you on this whole notion that there are people in the league who are out to get the Raiders, and more specifically, Mark Davis? Because I still don't understand why. If the NFL had the emails from Gruden back in July, why wait until October and by the way, someone in the league or someone with football team leaked the emails. Yeah. Isn't it – when you look at this, isn't it a, a bigger problem than just John Gruden? If many people around the league were aware of the Gruden emails back in July, why was he allowed to start the season? That's a good question. Um, I guess – and I hate to answer your question with a question, but on top of that, if, if that's what most of us believe, that the NFL had these emails, they saw them out of 650,000, right, back in July, and they pinpointed what they pinpointed. Imagine if they are cherry-picking and dictating which ones they want to re- – doesn't that make whoever has seen them just as bad as Gruden because they're protecting certain comments that could be regarded derogatory and hiding them and not letting those – people? they're just as bad. Because, you know, we're going to shine the light on what Gruden said, but we're not going to shine the light on what Coach A, B, or General Manager C, D, or President E, F said. We'll protect what they said. And so they're just as bad. But I am part of the notion, yes. I just think that the Raiders have always been that, you know, and what do they call the Yankees, the evil empire. I think of the the NFL, you know, the shield, the – the Raider with the patch. It's always been like that. You know, Al Davis was is a well was a well respected man and he was he was stood at the forefront of diversity and he was a maverick and But but, but all but all but, that's all that's great. But for the for many of the other owners who go way back, Al Davis was always a thorn in the side. That's what I'm was saying. always a guy who could potentially embarrass the league and oftentimes did by calling them on the carpet. And that's and challenging them in, in the courts. That's what I'm getting at, is that I think that this goes back. Yep. So why are they going after the Raiders? Because they've always wanted to go after it. And any time they can stick it to them. And you know what? You, by the way, you heard what Jason Cole said, that there are owners who look at the Raiders and are like, well, great job going to Las Vegas yep. and now getting the organization up to a value of you know $3.5 billion. But the way they look at it, 
hey, dude, you squandered the opportunity in Oakland. Maybe you should have got a stadium deal done there. And the and the way they look at it, because they're rich guys. They're all billionaires. They're all, you know, most of them are freaking robber barons or from robber baron families, right? They look at it and they're like, Three and a half billion. You should be worth four and a half billion. Well, and I also think that there's are there could be some owners out there, and we're not going to know because we're not seeing their emails or hearing their thoughts. But there could be some that are still of that same belief that no, we're never going to let the league go to you know how many how many owners bought into McCarthy when he said that one year when they asked if they would ever let an exhibition game been, been played here, and he said no, absolutely not. How many actually said? We're never they, they, going they, they to. They can't be mad, Willie, anymore. Well, no, because they should be. They should. They've be. opened the. Fl- we've opened be. the floodgates so they can make all this money off of gambling. Off, and, and endorsements. I'm just saying we don't know, but the Raiders are catching the lion's oh, share. As, as soon as we uh, dropped to our knees and and gave them 750 million dollars plus, oh yeah, that should have ended most of the problems with Mark Davis because he was a big part of getting that. Yeah, that that should be it. We gave Nevada gave the league. A, a freaking bargaining chip for the yep. next 25 years. Anytime a local team has issue uh, or a team has issues with locals on their stadium, uh, if there's a potential of moving, they can always point to Nevada and Vegas and go 750. Yeah. So they, they want the NFL. Do you want it? So why? Then then that 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 just leaves the question. You know what is it out there that? Why do they continue? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the if it's their personality. I, I, it's hard. I, you know, prior to all this, it's kind of hard not to like Mark Davis with everything that he's done since he's arrived here. I mean, the guy's courtside for the Aces, then he buys them. He's he's seen around town. The organization since I back a couple of years ago, before COVID, and I was still actively covering my local high schools. They were at every single game with the table up. They were infusing money. They bought equipment for locals. They've, they've infused money to the community. They're reaching out and doing as much as they can, grassroots efforts. It's hard not to like this organization and, and, and wonder why they do have a target on their back. Um, does it stretch? Is it just Gruden? Is it the organization? That's what remains to be seen. And I will say it for the 500th time. Uh, this is not whataboutism. This is not excusing what happened to Gruden. It's not that at all. This is a separate story that's been going on yeah. a, a long, long time. Crunch. One other thing I wanted to react to, and we never got to this with Jason Cole, mm. NFL Insider, but I did see a tweet after the Bears game from Jason, and I think there's a lot of people thinking this. There was a video of Bears fans in the corridors at Allegiant celebrating and chanting. And he sent out, and again, I'm not just going after him. I think other people think this too. That would have never happened in Oakland. What exactly does that mean, and what would you like us to do here in Las Vegas? I think, I think we all know should exactly we sla- what that Should means. we slaughter the opposing fans in the stadium? No. And not let them celebrate? Should we just just full, just full, total Donnybrook? Brouhaha's all over the place. Sure. Should we kick their ass? Sure, that's that. that. Or, or is this environment actually a cooler environment for the NFL that rival fans are actually welcome to come and have a good time and celebrate their victory without fearing for their lives? No, and can we act like adults when we go to NFL games, or do we want to just go there, you lose, and then it's time to kick ass? This is the. <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> angels the- chatting in the background. I mean, I mean, I'm all for the latter. I don't want to be the guy kicking the ass because I can't really fight. And I'm old, but. Actually, I lie. I don't want that. I always thought that was stupid. I think that's actually it's a growing problem around the NFL. These fight videos are not funny. I, 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 I rarely click on them. I think they're completely disgusting. 
yeah. at the stadium. The, the one we saw yesterday was 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 horrible. Um, and and I, you know, this happened in L.A. when the Raiders were still in L.A. It was right. It was a year after one of the Dallas Buffalo Super Bowls. And if you, you know this, back in the day, I don't know if they still do it, but you lay a twenty dollar bet, twenty dollar parlay, or hit, or one of their whatever, you get a hat or a t shirt at the sports books. Well, I had. We used to play a game where we go up and down the strip, and that was when the strip was easily accessible. Anyway, the next season went down and watched the Raiders in Atlanta in the Coliseum and a buddy of mine, and I had a Super Bowl hat on. It was a Super Bowl hat with Super Bowl logo, but on the back were the two helmets, Cowboys and Bills. You couldn't tell if I was a Cowboy fan, a Bills fan, or just a football fan. And at one point, we're sitting there, me and my buddy, this is like in 92 or 3, I don't remember. And some, and all of a sudden, I hear, "Hey, cowboy fan!" and throwing popcorn at me. And a buddy of mine to my right, to my buddy, he's going, "I think they're talking to you." I said, "I'm not turning around. Are you turn around." I said, "I'm not. I'm not." Isn't that ridiculous? I said, "I don't know how many people are behind within this row, right. but the game's almost over. I've already hit, and we had a bet, so I already hit my ticket. I'm let's go because Isn't that ridiculous? This though? is one. Of, yeah, but you now you now have to be afraid at a freaking game." Of getting into, and again, I didn't have, I, I didn't even have, uh, right. I didn't have a logo on. I didn't right. have, it was, it was a Super Bowl hat. So that's L.A. Can you imagine Oakland? And so for him wow. to insinuate, well, that wouldn't happen in Oakland. Yeah, well, good because we don't want it to happen in Las Vegas because that is that is somewhat of why people enjoy coming to the Golden Knights games and the Raiders games right now and 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 becoming a pro sports town. And that's the, la- the, the last thing we need is more violence up and down the strip, right? We are a Tourism-driven city. Fighting at games is infantile, childish, irresponsible, and dangerous. What black eye was left on this city, right? And a nice big shiner from the NBA All-Star game. Yep. Right? When it, when it came here. Oscar Goodman. Yeah, we look like clowns. Befriended David Stern and said all along this is a Stern, pro sports Stern team. left town and then spat upon us. Yeah. And it was because of the, 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 the fights that took place on the strip. Like it was our fault. Like that happened all the time in Vegas. Yeah, one. I mean, I've been to different cities where you hear different things about different fan bases and and their and their, you know, whatever. Like the black hole in Vegas, the the dog pound in Cleveland. I went to to a Cleveland game and it was one of the funnest times. I want to say, you know what? It was a Browns Raiders game, and it was seven years ago this Friday, or or this weekend. It's coming up, coming up, twenty seventh, I think. I, I know the date for a reason. But anyway, seven years, two thousand fourteen. Went to the Raiders Browns game. Nicest fans you could, and we were sitting just above the dog pound in the section I was. The met met like four or five people: a father and a and a and a, uh, an older man and, and a daughter who was my age, and then their friends. And we all and there was a bar, a full range bar. It wasn't like a concession; it was a bar. We ended up watching the second half, doing shots, having a great time. Walked back to Sixth Street. The next day, I went to Canton. Had never been to the Hall of Fame. The woman took the day off. She said, I didn't want you to go see the Hall of Fame alone. We just went, just hung oh, wow. out. I mean, nicest people. And you hear things about Cleveland. Like, people were like, why would you want to go to Cleveland, the armpit of America? I was like, what are you talking about? I said, first of all, Canton's right there. The Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I went to a Browns game. I had a great time. People often ask me, why would you want to go to Denver? Now, that's a good question. Uh, AFC West rival. Broncos fans drive me nuts, and I'm not even a Raiders fan. Yeah. Uh, on the way back, we're going to talk to a Broncos insider. Uh, this dude has been ranting and raving all day yesterday after the game and all day today, oh there are some Broncos fans who are not happy about what the Raiders did to them. 
Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I want to lay Denver 4 against the Raiders, but that's bad line value. I think the Broncos are going to win. I know you're confident that the Raiders are going to prep. They're going to play hard. I just think this is a rough spot, man, with all that's happened. I'm going on the limb and saying Raiders money line. Really? All right. I'd love to see it happen. It was already buzzing last week at home Sunday. Monday was tough. Yes, they've had time to prepare. Raiders are going to win this outright. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. I don't know, man. That sounded like creative editing. It sounded like Willie rolled that in this morning. <laughs> now he said that on Friday. Good job, <laughs> Willie Ramirez, backing me down. I, uh, I actually, I thought I, when I was talking about bad line value, I was just saying a four because it was it was lower than that earlier in the week. Um, I, I actually, I'll say it. I thought the Raiders were going to get smashed. You did. And, and not only did you come back over the top and say, hey, they're going to cover, but you should play money line here. People in Denver are not happy. I don't blame them. The Raiders were in a very perilous spot. I don't know how the Broncos didn't come out, get off to a quick start, and win that game and dominate defensively, but they did not. James Merrillat covers the Broncos. He's covered the Broncos for a long time, and I know he's been very critical the last day or so on Twitter. What's up, James? What's up, fellas? Well, you know, give us first your general thoughts on what the hell happened yesterday to the Broncos just laid an egg against a team that seemed to be in a really shaky position. Yeah, just more of the same, though. It's what we've seen in two-plus years of the Vic Fangio era when they're, we're in, where they're in a game where, hey, pressure is on. You know, they're coming off back-to-back losses. they got to right the ship because this week's a short week going to Cleveland. A game they just, you know, had to have. All the circumstances were, you know, pointing toward a Broncos win, and they just come out and lay an egg. And not only just didn't play well, but they got dominated. I mean, the score, 34-24, game wasn't anywhere as close as that would indicate. Uh, and the biggest disappointment, it's why I've been so hard on Vic Fangio, is this is a defense that they've given him every tool he could possibly uh, ask for. They've spent a ton of money on that side of the ball. That's where his expertise is supposed to lie. And once again, it's just a bad defense. I mean, they got gashed in every way, shape, and form yesterday by the, by the Raiders. Couldn't stop the pass, couldn't stop the run, gave up big plays. It is just, uh, it, it's what we've, we've been calling around here a disaster, and that seems like a a big term for it, but that's what uh, that's what that game was. I think it's uh, it's probably the beginning of the end for Vic Fangio. Which is exactly what I was going to address, James. Last week we were saying you would have thought Vic was the first coach on the hot seat to go, and it's Gruden gets forced out, resigned, whatever. But I saw your tweet earlier, Broncos look like a team that has quit on their coach. It was readily apparent yesterday. Do you feel that he's lost the locker room at this point? Yeah, I do. And, you know, it's not necessarily the first time I've thought that. I mean, they, they continue to make the same kind of mental mistakes over and over and over again, which, you know, tells me either they're coaching it or they're allowing it, one of the two. Uh, and when you allow it, you start to you start to lose the locker room that way. And then yesterday it, it quickly turned into here we go again, and, and players started making business decisions on the field. Uh, I think it was the third, no, the second interception from Teddy Bridgewater uh, trying to hit Cortland Sutton down the field. And Cortland Sutton, and look, I get it. He blew out his ACL last year in Pittsburgh trying to make a tackle after an interception. But he made zero effort to try and go make the tackle after the after the pick yesterday. There were a couple of plays where Justin Simmons didn't make a play. And these are you know supposed to be leaders of the team, and they were uh, shying away and, uh, and ducking out. To me, that's a sign of a team that uh, quit is a big term. That's a four-letter word in, in sports. 
But boy, there were there were probably four or five times yesterday during the game I wound it back to to point it out to people and say, "Look at this! Look what's going on! That is a very very bad sign." You've obviously paid attention to them all season um, since the Giants. All they played is teams from the AFC. Is Denver that bad, or were the Raiders that good? And where would you put them? Among the teams, I mean, I know the Raiders are better than the Jaguars and the Jets. They beat the Ravens and the Steelers. But in terms of what you've seen, are the Broncos that bad or are the Raiders that good? I actually think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think the Raiders team, especially, well, two things. Offensively, they got a ton of talent. When you get, when you got Waller and Ruggs and Josh Jacobs, it's like, man, you can't take away at all. So when, when Derek Carr is, uh, is playing well, they're a very tough team to stop. We saw that. But then defensively, yeah, they got some weaknesses, but, man, they can get after the passer. Uh, and Teddy Bridgewater was limping out of his press conference yesterday for a reason. He got hit 17 times, sacked five times. He was just under siege all day. So I do think the Raiders are good. I really do. And, you know, I don't know that the Broncos are bad because when they played bad teams early in the year, the, the directional schools, as I like to call them, they, they went 3-0. and They beat the teams they should beat. But the last three weeks when they've played teams that are playoff contenders, they've been exposed. So... The Broncos are a team that's going to finish with, you know, six, seven wins, pick somewhere in the, you know, nine to 13, 14 range. They're just, they're that kind of team. They're not awful, but they're certainly not any good. That's for sure. Damn. You think only six or seven wins? That's, that's, that's the high mark this year? Yeah. I mean, if you look at their schedule after the bye, when they've got the Chargers twice, Chiefs twice, and a Bengals team coming in here that's playing better than, than you would have thought. I mean, they're, they're seven games after the bye. Other than Detroit, it's hard to find a, a win in, in that batch. And they've got at the Browns this week. They got a, you know maybe a winnable game against Washington here. But the way things are trending, it's hard to find a ton of wins on that uh, on that schedule. But I picked them six and eleven at the beginning of the year, so maybe I'm leaning in that direction because uh, I've seen nothing to uh, to make me change my mind. But just going through the schedule, it's hard to find a lot of games where the Broncos are going to be favored. Uh, at Pittsburgh was maybe their most winnable road game. They didn't get that done. And yesterday, just given the circumstances, felt like one of their uh, most winnable home games, and it wasn't close. So, uh, yeah, I hate to be uh, Debbie Downer in, uh, in Broncos country, but uh, that's, uh, that's the mood around here today. It is gloomy. James Merrillat, he's uh, part of 1043thefan.com. Uh, um, listen, this Broncos defense has a lot of great names, are they getting their production? Are we are we basing it too much on the names? Because uh, I saw you tweet out some of the takeaway numbers, and they're really just not that impressive under Fangio. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, and people, you know, always will come up with excuses for Vic Fangio. That's why I've called him Teflon Vic for you know the better part of his tenure here. But in 38 games with Vic Fangio as their head coach, and he's their defensive coordinator, maybe not name, but he's calling the defense. They forced 39 turnovers. It was 17 in his first year. 16 a year ago, and so far this year it's six and six games. I mean, they built this team to rely on their defense and have a game manager at quarterback. They're not going to win a game when they give up 34 points and Teddy Bridgewater has to throw the ball 49 times. It's just they're, they're not built to win that way, and their defense has to be the playmaking side of the ball. They've got the most expensive defense in football in terms of percentage of salary cap. They need to make plays, and we saw it yesterday. They had two sacks, but I think the Raiders lost a grand total of one yard on those sacks. They were kind of technicality sacks. Didn't force any turnovers. Never gave Teddy in the offense a short field. They just don't make any plays. And, you know, it's not just the the six games this year. It wasn't just the end of last year when they didn't have 
you know, really any healthy cornerbacks. It's been this way from the jump. Um, you know, Vic Fangio's first three games as the Broncos head coach, they became the first team in NFL history not to record a sack or force a turnover in the first three games of the year. That's how it started, and it's pretty much trended that way ever since. And now what happens at linebacker since they're getting pretty serious injuries? Yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be going with Justin Chernat, a guy that was hurt last year, and they, they brought him in here hoping he would solve their never-ending issue covering uh, uh, tight ends and running backs. And uh, So they'll go with him, young kid, and then it's probably going to be Micah Kaiser, who we saw yesterday for really the first time getting any extended playing time. So they're thin at that spot, but, you know, everybody's got injuries. They're, they're going up to play Cleveland this year, this week, and Cleveland's out, you know, down both their backs, and Baker Mayfield's banged up, so... Um, you know, it was the weak spot of the defense heading into the season. Uh, if you never want anybody to get injured, but if you said, hey, who are two guys the Broncos can afford to lose, it would probably be, have been uh, Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson. So it won't be an excuse. They've got to come up with a way to, to fill that void. And, and the high-priced, high-dollar guys are still out there. It's still Justin Simmons and Vaughn Miller and Ronald Darby and, and you know, Fuller and all these guys. So they've got to, they got to figure out a way to, to overcome those injuries. You had a chance to. I mean, this was yesterday was the first division game. Um, you've had a chance to, I'm sure, watch the other teams. And I'm guessing that uh, you never would have thought that after six weeks that the Broncos would be tied with the Chiefs in the AFC West, but they are both three and three, as it is right now. Because um, I, I think if the Raiders play like they did yesterday, two weeks ago, Monday night in Los Angeles, we would have seen a different game. Not sure if they would have beat the Chargers, but give us the AFC West breakdown as far as you see it from top to bottom. I still think the Chiefs are the best team in the division. You know, and I know heading into yesterday they were two and three, but they'd lost uh, three teams that were each four and one. So, uh, you know, it's not as though they were losing games that they absolutely should have won. They, they lost to some good teams. They're still a team that we're going to look up at the end, and, you know, they're going to be 12 and five despite starting two and three. So I would probably put them atop the division. I think the Raiders and the Chargers are a coin flip. I think it kind of depends on the day, and I think it kind of depends on you know, how their defenses show up. I mean, at times that Chargers defense can be porous. The last couple of weeks they've given up a ton of points. Um, the Raiders can struggle on that side of the ball, but uh, I think what I've seen the last two weeks out of the Chargers defense, maybe I'd put the Raiders a little bit ahead of, of uh, L.A. at number two. I think the Broncos are a distant fourth. I, I think the other three teams are going to be contending for the playoffs all year long, and I think the Broncos, you know, come Thanksgiving time are going to be uh, planning uh, planning vacations and talking about who the next head coach is going to be. Yeah, uh, we'll build on that to close. I, I don't love speculating on who the next coach could be when a you know, guy's only six games into the season. Uh, what is the best hope, and does it involve uh, you know, a tandem with Aaron Rodgers and someone of his choice? <laughs> that would be the dream scenario, um, you know, bringing in a, a, a guy who can solve the quarterback issue and you know he's going to solve it. It's not, you know, drafting Justin Fields or Mac Jones and, and hoping he develops into, into it. So, that would be the dream scenario. I would imagine the Broncos will go somebody that's an offensive-minded coach. Uh, you know, really, they've, they've tried that same formula since Super Bowl 50, so this is six straight years of lean on the defense and, you know, just have a game manager at quarterback. I think that, uh, that formula has proven that it's not going to work because they've done it with three different coaches and ten different quarterbacks, and it hasn't worked. So I would guess it would be offensive-minded. Teams, when they make a change, tend to go the opposite of what they were, so – if they've got a veteran coach that's on the defensive side that didn't work in Fangio, young offensive mind, and, uh, yeah, if you could pair him with Aaron Rodgers, you'd have, uh, you'd have people doing cartwheels down I-25 here in Denver. What would you say to this one? 
Put Drew Locke in. Let's find out what you have, and maybe he can save the season. I don't know if he can save the season, but I think they should put him in. I think at this point, and, you know, the, the whole Teddy versus Drew thing was the, the big you know, conversation during training camp and during preseason, and the Broncos went with the veteran because they were trying to win now. My point was always, win what? Like, what's the point of going 8-9, and 9-8? Nine, nine and eight? You just hurt your draft spot, and what do you do with Banjo and it puts you in no man's land? So I was always on play, play Drew, find out what you have. If, if, he's, if he's the guy, great. If he's not, well, at least you know it and you can move on. So I think, uh, I think this game against Cleveland could be, could be D-Day for several folks. I think Vic Fangio's on the hot seat. Pat Shermer's on the hot seat. Teddy Bridgewater as well, though. If you're three and four and things are going off the rails, you might as well play the kid, see what you have, and, uh, and know definitively by the end of the year if he's the guy or has the chance to be the guy. Because at three and four, they're not going anywhere. So why play the veteran? Why play the game manager? James, tell people in Vegas, we have a lot of Broncos fans here, where they can find your stuff up online. Yeah, check us out. We're at uh, denverfan.com. You can uh, stream the site we're, uh, and listen to the station or read, the, read my stuff on there. And uh, let me know if you think I'm uh, off my rocker. I get plenty of that. <laughs> or check me out on Twitter, at James Merrillat. That's, that's always a fun place to interact, too. Very good spot. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, James. You bet, guys. Thanks a lot. There he is, James Merrillat. You heard it, denverfan.com, 1043thefan.com. I think he's writing him off a little too early. Now he's right. In the long run, what is the upside? This is not a Super Bowl-winning team anytime soon. Is Fangio really on the hot seat now? Well, I... I'm not a fan, so I've, and I've never been a fan. I, and I pick against the Broncos every year. Um, in large part because of Fangio, because I think he's a he's a he's a D coordinator first and foremost, and he's very good at that. I just don't think he's a very good game manager, um, and they they haven't gotten the offense right the whole time he's been there. And it's it's about to get worse because they're on a short week and they're going to Cleveland and they're banged up, you know, and they're going to face an angry Cleveland team that just got humiliated on its own field by Arizona, and that's you know so it's kind of like. You just threw that thoroughbred in a stakes race, and now it's stepping down to a maiden race against the Broncos. And it's, you know, it's it's so it's it doesn't get any easier for him to try to figure it out. Um, and like I said, I that was that was a topic of you know de- obviously last week with every station you turned on, no matter what you were listening to or watching, it was Gruden, 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 Gruden. It was you know this was the last person you would have thought. There was going to be the first person to go, and Vic Fangio's name came up several times in different interviews, different topics in terms of list of names. Of course, Urban Meyer's name's been thrown out there. But point is, if if it's if that was a thought process going in, like who might be the first one to, to see? And you see what they're doing once they're playing quality competition. They get past, they open three and zero, and then you go, well, okay, that was against those teams. You know, at some point you're going to have to question the production. So I mean, you know, it's like. He's a defensive guy. Well, who was at fault for Las Vegas' seven completions of at least 25 yards? Him? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's the, he's, if he's the defensive mind. Coming up, big news in the NHL. Evander Kane is suspended 21 games sure. for what? A, the Vax card? 21 games? Really? Domestic drafts under 4 bucks and appetizers for $2, $4, and $6. All at Twin Peaks. Bridgewater back, 
Pump fake, fires, intercepted, picked up by Abram. Just go down, young man, go down. And they're able to roll him toward the out-of-bounds marker, and they stop it with 24 seconds to go. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Yep, John Abram with uh, one of the three Raiders picks of Teddy Bridgewater. So Broncos fans pissed. Their season not looking like it's in great shape. I don't think they're going to fall apart, and I still think they're going to challenge their win total, the preseason win total. All right, I want to get back to the Raiders in just a little bit. we got some UNLV football coming up. That was a really interesting game on Saturday afternoon, evening. But we got breaking news in the NHL. Evander Kane, who has had allegations of illegal gambling, serious issues with his wife, serious allegations there. Then came the story about him giving a fake vax card to the organization. The first action against Evander Kane came down today. He just got a 21-game suspension for a violation of COVID protocols. What do you think about this? 21 games. What are they saying? 21 games on the surface. 21 games for handing in a fake vax card. You, and, and you said the first penalty. It's it's the only one because this statement, it says he's been suspended for 21 regular season games without pay for an established violation of and lack of compliance with the NHL, NHLPA, COVID-19 protocol. Under the terms of the collective bargaining agreement, the forfeited pay goes to the Players Emergency Assistance Fund. So he won't be eligible to play prior to their game on November 30th against at New Jersey. But the, hockey, the, the NHL also said... It's announced that its concurrent investigation into allegations of domestic abuse made against Kane by his estranged wife, Deanna, could not be substantiated. There will be no further comment. <laughs> there, will, there will be no further comment. There with Mark Davis. Yeah. Um, this is pretty amazing stuff. I, I guess if you fabricate a, a Vax card, then... Well, they got them. They actually have hard proof. Yeah, and they, it can't, said, they, and can't, it, they can't prove anything else. It says for an established violation and lack of compliance. So it obviously it means the established violation, they, they got the proof of a fake guy, and then lack of compliance, he didn't get vaccinated. But 21, day, 21 games. Now, now imagine the illegal head hits that have already taken place and the illegal checks... I can't think off the top of my head the game I was watching the other night, um, and 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 he was the guy uh, skater was on his knees, comes skating in, and the other kid comes skating in and cross check, boom into the board, head hits it. He got two games, two. I guess. I mean, seems almost uh, if you if you're going to go after somebody, almost Damn. seems worth it to get physical because you're only going to miss a couple of games. Just just make sure that you're vaccinated because you might get 21 games. Seems like a pretty serious penalty. Don't we have, uh, reportedly, don't we have people selling fake Vax cards out in front of the stadium before Raider games? Oh, I don't know. What would be the equivalent, you know, in our regular justice system? 21 games. Well, let me ask you that. That's a fake Vax card. That's a medical, that's an actual medical, I mean, that's that's like along the lines of HIPAA and so many other things. I mean, wouldn't that be borderline federal offense of some, you know, fabricating? I mean, uh, well, I think think it is a prosecutable, uh, prosecutable crime. I don't know that. Outside of stories I've heard uh, coming out of Canada, I haven't heard of anything like this in the U.S. If like you someone, get caught, someone being fined, you know, if you whatever, get caught 10, selling twenty thousand dollars. If you get caught selling a Vax card outside of Legion, then you might get suspended for twenty-one. You can't go to a Raiders game for twenty-one. <laughs> Is that right, twenty-one, 21, games? 21 Raiders <laughs> <All right>. games. <laughs> it's about three uh, three seasons worth of home games. And, yeah. uh, we'll cut it down a little bit if we 
we throw in the preseason games. Yeah. What a freaking mess. Total mess. All right, on the way back, let's get to what happened to the Rebels over the weekend. Another close game, but another loss. And Charles Williams had a monster day. And, you know, we'll also build on, uh, boy, you think John Gruden was a little loose with his language and offensive? Wait until you hear some of the stuff now coming out about Ed Orgeron, who is a national championship winning coach who has now agreed to leave 21 months after he wins a national title. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. And defense is playing well, and I'm very upset with myself because there was a play out there I left that could help the defense. It's, that's why I'm really hurting right now is because I felt like I didn't give it my all. You know, it was only 95%. And, you know, I could have gave, you know, at least five more to help Jacoby and them out on defense. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. There you go, running back, taking it upon himself. After, uh, what, rushing for 38 yards on 14 carries? Yeah, not quite. Charles Williams, the UNLV running back, the Rebels, unfortunately fell short again, dealt with more injuries at quarterback, couldn't move the ball effectively in the fourth quarter, run some time off the clock, and pad their lead. So they wind up falling to 0-6. Four of the six games now, Willie. They've had ball in hand at the end of the game with a chance to tie or take the lead. But they're 0-6. That's pretty incredible, and it speaks to how they've been competitive in a lot of these games. But that blew me away on Saturday. That was Charles Williams after the game who rushed for 221 yards and three touchdowns. And he comes in there afterwards, and he's like, I needed to do more. What? (laughs) You needed to do more, but that's the kind of guy Charles is. And you know what? In a way... Uh, everyone, in uh, even in a great performance, can look back and go, you know what, maybe there's a couple of yards I could have got. Now, that said, I'm not, I, none of us are going to walk in there and go, Charles, come on, man. You know, key third down play, you got to get the first down in, in the fourth quarter. You, you can't do that. Um, so I think that's a good sign. First, talk about what you saw from Williams on the field. Well, he, I mean, and we talked about this Talk about a soundbite. We, we t- you and I talked about it also last week on, on the show, and I had said I think Charles Williams is going to have a big game. I didn't think he was going to have as big of a game that he did, but he just came out on a mission. And, I mean, that 75-yard run obviously was, you know, just ignited things for the, not just him but the team itself. Yep. Um, they needed it because they had opened with a field goal. Then they a little bit of a letdown. They give up a kickoff return. Yeah. Uh, Utah State takes the lead. and to then a local guy. And, and then right back. Yeah. With Charles Williams. Play the call here from Russ. Jensen in motion. Handoff. Williams got a hole. 30, 35, 40. He's at the 50. School's out. Charles Williams at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Touchdown Rebels. 75 electrifying yards for Charles Williams, and the Rebels have the lead back. It's funny on that run, um, he made a move that basically finished the defense about 30 yards downfield. Man, he made a he made a I think it was a move inside, got the guy to drop and, and turned outside and he was just gone. And he's he's one of those guys, in spite of the fact that, you know, he's he's been beaten up over his career. He's had so many carries. He's still fast as hell. Like he, he really has breakaway speed. And the funny thing on that play, um, you know, you see me shooting videos, I try to shoot videos during the game. Well, it's you know, I don't always have the, the video going expecting a seventy five yard run. Right. Uh, but that was like it was coming right at me and I saw the move he made on the dude and I was like Ooh, yeah, that was nice. He had he had such a good game for a running back. Aside from the seventy-five yarder, his timing 
and his patience on so many of the runs. Yeah. He like he is getting better and Arroyo has talked about it. He's playing a little different position in this offense in terms of being, you know, straight behind the quarterback and he is he you can see him improving game by game in terms of his ability to like wait, wait for the blocks. Let's see where the opening is and then go. And I think he has to because he realizes how much he's counted on. I mean, in terms of the quarterback play and the system that that has to be used depending on who is under center at what time. And you're right. I mean, he just somewhat – he picked his spots. He picked his moments to use that breakoff speed. And it's what if, – if it he was he was so, somewhat in a different dimension that night where if he got past the line of scrimmage and then that next level with the linebackers, you better bring him down because – you're right. He's a power back, but the second that he bounces off you, he's getting the second win, and that's where that speed kicks in, and he takes off. 27 carries, 221 yards. He had, his average per carry was 8.2. The highest he got to that was in the first game against Eastern Washington, 6.4 yards per carry. Um, he's he's only the, the, the previous time he's done better than that was 9.5 against Southern Utah back in 2019. So overall, obviously, I mean, the, you look at the yardage, yes, you're going to say that's his biggest game, but production-wise, efficiency was just phenomenal. The thing is, I think he had five touches in the fourth quarter. Now, of course, Utah State made adjustments. They started stopping him, but as much as they made adjustments to start shutting down, the guy was getting tired as well, but you still had to figure out a way there was some I quit. You heard me in the press conference, um, and I wasn't questioning Marcus, but I was asking the question, to, and I even said it. You're the coach. I'm just trying to get inside your head on certain, you know, you, you, nine minutes left in the game. You're somewhat in control. You got the, you, you, you're controlling the tempo at this point, but then you throw and you throw. We talked about it afterwards, and you were like, well, that first down throw was actually a good throw. It just it, it was a bad throw. It was a basic pitch and catch yeah. on, a, on a nice wide receiver screen setup to Kyle Williams, and Friel didn't give Williams any shot. Now, I'll defend Friel because he's, well, now he's a lot more hurt than, yes. than he was before. Right. But he was hurt going into the game. Yeah. I mean, I watched him in that UTSA game, and he was limping all over the field at the end of the game. And he didn't practice early in the bye period. Uh, he got out there for this game on Saturday, and he's got this heavy leg brace on, and then he went down on a second down pass in the fourth quarter. Again, they're trying to get first downs. They're trying to run clock, and he was – like, I, I was watching him on the sideline. There's no way he was going back in, which brings up. And he's which, made some tremendous strides. Yeah, which, I, which, I, I actually, I, I thought watching him on Saturday that he was he was still only like 85%. I thought he was slinging the ball a little bit more mm-hmm. than he uh, than he normally does. With confidence. Well, no, I, by, by slinging, I thought, and I didn't mean in a good way. I thought he was, like, it, it was a different motion, I oh, thought. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like okay, he was yeah, having yeah, to yeah. throw a lot more body into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't think he was at his best. And now the, now the question comes up. They're playing against a hyper-aggressive San Jose State defense. I'm telling you, folks, San Jose State's not having the season they had last year, but their front seven is awesome. Yep. Watch them on Thursday against San Diego State. I know a lot of people were riffing the game. It was one of the best back-and-forth defensive battles. Defense, yeah. Front seven attacking yeah. the offense. Those two teams are ridiculous on defense. I don't know if Friel's going to be healthy for a freaking Thursday game. And here's... Here's a little proof of like how much they're going to have to baby the quarterback situation just to to have the best guy available on the field, and that's Friel because Brumfield, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back for the game. Um, they're going to practice at night the rest of this week, right? So that's tonight. They're going to practice tomorrow night and Wednesday. 
because they're trying to stretch out as much time from the end of the Saturday game to give guys rest. And I asked Arroyo, well, are you going to do this? Because I, I was also thinking, hey, late start, late practice, right? Because that's some, that's, they think about that stuff. Late start, late, or late start to the game, so we're going to practice late. Well, they have Reno next Friday, two Fridays from now. In well, Reno. That's at night. Yeah. So you're going to practice at night all week, he said now, just, just this week. So this is simply because. Well, it's a short week. Because, so be, maybe, well, because of the injury situation. They're yeah. trying. That's, like, that's how much they have to manage the injury situation of quarterback. Yeah. They're trying. It's like, hey, let's give him a few more hours. And he did say Friel probably won't practice tonight. He probably shouldn't. But, but, I, re- but I'll tell you, if they get him ready and he's ready to go on Thursday, he, that kid is really tough. Because then the next option, and again, I asked Arroyo this uh, today. I said, Rodgers is going to be your guy, right, on Thursday if Broomfield, Brumfield and Friel can't go. Uh, he said yes. And I also brought up the fact that Tate Martell, like, is are you gonna are you gonna have enough, you know, Tate being familiar with the playbook where he can be out there outside of just run design plays? And he said, Well, you know, they were in Rogers and Martell were in last night, they were working on it, so we'll see. I I, I am I'm slowly coming around, you know, in terms of that I think Marcus is putting everything that he can into it. Um, you and I have talked about this endlessly. I and I I mean, I, there's a part of me that feels bad for this guy because I mean, this, this I'm starting to think this team is hexed. Well, Saturday was that was the worst of all. Of it. I mean, that's brutal. That was but the worst. Here's of all the of thing: it. how many weeks are we going to hear from an offensive guru coach who just got done coaching Justin Herbert in Oregon and 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 a potent offense? And how many weeks in a row are we going to hear? Well, Tate's just not acclimated to the offense. Well, when's he going to be acclimated? I to think the there's offense? a. I when's think, he going to know the book? I think playbook? what he's. I think what he's saying is. You can know the playbook off the field, but they're not comfortable with the lack of practice time he's had in terms of feeling like he understands the playbook. Which yeah. I think is that's hey that's I think that's a discussion you can have with a lot of offensive gurus. Like yeah, what's I get it. What's more important, like having knowledge of it or actually seeing it executed in practice? I'm I'm sure practice is super important. Uh, but yeah, and I'll, I'll one last question. And we can talk about this later in the week. The game's coming up on Thursday. The other thing that people were saying after the game, when Freel was unavailable, if you know, pretty much know that you're going to run the ball, try to get a first down, run clock, do you have Justin Rogers on the field or do you have the run threat quarterback, Martell, on the field so that there's a little bit of hesitation in terms of going balls to the wall after Charles because you know they could also do RPO and all of a sudden Martell could be coming around the corner or going up the gut. Especially when... You, you don't necessarily need to know the playbook and feel comfortable with the, right, and running the entire system when you just need to read the offense, do some do some reads, and find the gap and get some – move the chains. So if it's either you or Charles Williams, that's all you need. So And I asked him that afterwards, and he said, you know, well, that was part of the plan, and Rodgers was more familiar, and so, okay, but – Nine minutes left, and you got, you're holding the lead, man. You know that was it was that was tough to watch. I felt bad for the kids. I felt bad for Charles Williams, and you know there's part of me that felt bad. I I, I sat there and I said, well, Marcus is going to get his first win tonight. We sat there and we watched it, you know, and then and then it just it just slowly, slowly. I had Mike Gramala on the left. I had Sam Gordon on the right. And we just kept looking at each other. And Mike said, he goes, this has, he said, does this have to feel like an overtime game? And then he answered himself. He goes, "It doesn't. It's just it's going to come down to the end." And sure enough, and man, it, that was gut wrenching. Gut wrenching to watch. 
A lot more on the Raiders' victory. We'll get to the uh, Big Five at four, and we'll also talk more about injuries. Listen, UNLV's beat up. They're in the middle of the season. VGK is just starting off the season, and the injury stuff has been just potentially debilitating. Domestic drafts under 4 bucks and appetizers for $2, $4, and $6, all at Twin Peaks.